like to direct your attention to the book of Genesis, chapter number one. All of our visitors that are here, we're delighted that you're here. We're going to look at one scripture in the book of Genesis, and then we're going to go to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 21. I want to tell you, I have fought the beast of Liberty Lake to, to bring this message here this morning. And no distraction is going to hinder me. This is the very first Sunday of a brand new year of a brand new decade. You have to understand. You have, you've, you've got to understand some things. That anything that is first sets a particular tone in the Word of God. According to biblical hermeneutics, which is a Greek word for interpretation, that which is first fulfills what they call the law or the principle of first reference. And so we are going to set a tone here today. We're going to set a tone in the spirit world. In Jesus' name. Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1, the Bible said, In the beginning, at the first, the alpha, the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And then going to Revelations chapter number 21, all the way to the end of your Bibles. Begin reading in verse number 1. Revelations 21 and verse 1 says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now in Genesis 1 and 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And in chapter 21 of Revelation, verse number 1, there's a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them. They shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Somebody say, Thank God. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. Somebody said, praise the Lord. For the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, write, for these words are true and faithful. talk to us about the war of thrones. The war of thrones. Let's put our Bibles down. 
Let's lift our voices and let's pray together, shall we, this morning? We're only together for a few moments here on this glorious day, but let's pray together in expectation for the Word of God. Would you lift your voice with us and let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you. We adore you. We give you great praise, great glory. I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him to sweep through this building and open eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I take dominion over every spirit of distraction and every hateful bird by the authority of the name of Jesus. One more time before you're seated, let's clap our hands and give him great praise. I feel the rich glory of God in this house. Woo, hallelujah. Somebody lift your voice with me and shout with a voice of triumph. Woo. Praise God. God bless you. You may be seated. From the beginning, and I'm not even going to insert the word time, I'm just going to say in the beginning, because in Genesis 1 and 1, we do not have chronology, it is outside of Time as we know it, as we know it, chronologically speaking, did not begin until the third day because the Bible said that the big light, which is the sun, and the small light, which is the moon that would rule the night, are for times, days, and seasons. spiritual time. And in verse number one, the Bible says unequivocally and without hesitation, in the beginning, God did do something. He created the heaven, singular, and the earth. And according to Isaiah 66 and 1, it gives us the definition of that creation. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven, not plural but singular, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Every throne of royalty, every throne of dominion, every throne of God has a footstool. And so, before any other act of creation, seen or unseen, physical or supernatural, God first.
first creates for himself a posture. And it is a posture of being fitted into a throne. And then, of course, in Revelation chapter number 21 that we read in your hearing, there is a new heaven and a new earth. And in verse number 5, he that sat upon the throne said, I make all things new. From Genesis to Revelation, we have a posture and a position of dominion, of authority, and of rule. And make no mistake about it, in the 21st century, it might look like the devil is running the show, but I just want to inform you if you're visiting here today, God is in control. There's not one little jot or tittle that escapes his notice. Everything that the devil is doing is being done by permission that is granted by the throne. Hallelujah. Amen. All creation from Genesis 1 and 1 forward. Better than using the word time at least at this point, I'll just say forward. There is a starting point, and then there is a forward momentum that takes place in verse number 2. Everything forward of Genesis 1 and 1 is created from the throne. It's created from a place, as I've already mentioned. It is a posture. The throne is, is already by definition. Uh, we are we are seeing God in a posture where He is seated on the throne, and He speaks the worlds into existence. Hallelujah, Hallelujah! The Bible says in the Book of Colossians, chapter one, whether they be dominions or thrones or principalities or things that are seen or things that are unseen. All things were made by him and created for him. Now that is specifically talking about Jesus Christ uh, being God manifest in the flesh. But I'd like to say that everything that is, is created by God. There is nothing that is created above and beyond that escapes the notice of the almighty God. several days are spiritual principles. They have perimeters. They are ordered by spiritual seasons, the first day and the second day, the third day, so on and so forth. But on the sixth day, God created man from the dust, and man became a living soul. He is created in the image and in the likeness of God. Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 26 declares this. And God said, let us make man in our image. I want to stop long enough to say that when God said let us, 
It is not God talking to the other members of the Trinity. It is not God speaking to the angelic realm. It is absolutely the complexity and multiplicity of majesty. It is majesty on top of majesty, the manifold wisdom of God. It is God speaking to himself, saying, I am in control. I create all things. Let us, let us determine to make man... Not to live in an alleyway, not to be addicted to drugs, not to be an alcoholic, not to be re reduced to a number. Let us make man in our own image. Clap your hands and give God praise. And God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness and let them have dominion. Everybody said dominion. Dominion is the express authority from the throne. There has to be a nucleus. There has to be an alpha. There has to be a, a genesis. There has to be a beginning. There has to be a point of emanation in which God's purest prudence and his governance and his dominion and his rule is expressed from and in all of creation, it is the throne. And so God determined that I've made all of this. There are invisible principles. There are invisible realities. And then there are finite physical additions to this incredible creation called planet Earth. God is building uh, an environment in which man can uh, rule and reign. And exercise this authority with God. You cannot miss this as an absolute principle of why you and I were created. You and I were created not to pay uh, your taxes. You were not created just to go to the mortuary one day. You were created initially by God to rule and reign this incredible creation with God. fickle whims of humanity. That is not at the flawed intellectualism of humanity. That is not from the maximum extent of, of, of being a gatherer of knowledge or things. That is the determination by God. He created this incredible vast universe, but he created only one planet. I hate to go against all you astrophysicists out there that believe that we could inhabit multiplied planets out there, but there's only one focal point for the will and the plan of God, and it's right here on planet Earth. For God so loved the world, not Alpha Centauri, not Cygnus X1, not a black hole, not the Milky Way. His attention is on Earth. He manifested himself in flesh on Earth. He came here to reach humanity on Earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Clap your hands and give him praise. Hallelujah. You have, you have, to, you have to expand your thinking a little bit when you come to formulas. Because we don't want to be in a box. Most denominational religious thinking today is in a box. They 
already have an ordered presentation. They have ordered liturgies. They have, in fact, it's so ordered that they give you a program when you walk in the door. They can tell you that at 1130, somebody is going to have a tuba, uh, a, tuba, a tuba solo. And then a procession. And then they can tell you exactly when church is going to be done. I'm glad I'm in an apostolic church. I don't want to be done till God's done. If you need healing today, we are not, we're not going to leave this building till the last person is healed. We're not going to leave, leave this premises till the last person is delivered. If you're willing and you have faith, God can do anything. It's like man has tried to create a denomination where I don't have to believe in that. So today in the 21st century, we have a lot of smart quote-unquote theologians that are what are called cessationists. A cessationist believes that there are no gifts, there is no additional understanding, revelation. God is done with all that. Well, I got good news for you. They're wrong. A book of Acts revival is available in the 21st century, and we are seeing it. Clap your hands and give him praise. God is still a way maker. God is still a deliverer. God will bring you out of darkness. God will bring you out of bondage. The primordial state of humanity. The original job description, if you please is that man would rule and reign with God. God being the unseen owner and humanity being the caretaker, if you please. The gardener, if you please. He would occupy as required and requested. And all authority would come from the throne. So this morning in your hearing, I want to talk to us about three definable wars for the throne. And there's a war for the throne in your life today. Some say hallelujah. The very first war, of course, takes place in the heaven. The only created beings at this time between Genesis 1 and 1 and the antediluvian world, between Genesis 1 and 1 and Genesis 1 and 2 is called the antediluvian world. And at this particular time, the only created entities that were in existence were angelic. The book of Job, chapter number 38, verse number 4. God is asking a question of Job, and he is revealing. He's going all the way back. A lot of people don't know this, but Job is the oldest book in the Bible. But here in the book of Job, God begins to question Job. Where, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And then in verse number 7, God gives us a revelation. When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted, for joy, the sons of God there in the. 
there is a better way to get my attention. But God bless you. I have to be, you got to be a gentleman in all these kind of occasions. There, there's, there's no other way. Okay. Look at this. At the time of the creation of the world, when the morning stars sang together, who are the morning stars? And all the sons of God shouted for joy. There are no human beings, so we're not talking about regenerated humanity. It is a theological principle of interpretation that when looking at the Old Testament, every time you see sons of God, it's talking about angels. When God said, watch this, and spoke the worlds into existence, the angelic realm ooed and awed and gave praise to God. The seraphims, the teraphims, the cherubims, they all praise. But there was one angel that became dissatisfied with his level of authority. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 1 verse number 3 that angels are ministering spirits. That is their job description. You have no say-so. You, you, you cannot go into unemployment. You are either going to be a ministering spirit for God or you're going to become a demon or a devil. And after the sons of God shouted for joy and glory at the panoramic glory of God and saw a living, breathing planet that is miraculous to behold in the universe. And it's called earth. An angel became dissatisfied. He had a title. He was the son of the morning. And his name was Lucifer. He concocted a plan to come against the throne. And not just come against the throne with angelic sedition. But look at what the book of Isaiah said as a revelation to that great prophet. Isaiah chapter number 14 and verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? Verse number 13. For thou hast said in thine heart. Listen to what Lucifer said to himself. When you and I are judged of God, God is, only, God is going to judge what you said to yourself, not only what came out of your mouth. This is why it's careful. We need to be careful what we meditate upon. This is what Lucifer said in his heart. I will exalt my throne. Above the stars of God. He wasn't satisfied with being equal with God. He wanted to be above God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Verse number 14. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Verse number 15. 
Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. There's only going to be one God. There's only going to be one throne. There's only going to be one authority. There's only going to be one dominion. There's only going to be one rule. Somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. God is in control. Not the White House, not Congress, not somebody else in another part of the world. There's only but one God, and he is in control. Jesus said this when speaking to the high disciples. I befell Lucifer. Somebody rises up against God's authority. It doesn't take long, and it's all over. I don't have time to do it because I have quite a bit to talk about here this very first Sunday. Uh, Not to disappoint you, you'll still be out of here by three. And Granny's Buffet over on Sullivan stays open till. About 9 o'clock tonight. I haven't been there in many weeks. So Lucifer is setting a precedent. And so now you can understand why he hates Adam and Eve. Because God gave his dominion to people that didn't have wings. They couldn't traverse like the prince of the power of the air. But they were bound to the terrestrial. They were bound to the finite. But they would rule and reign with God. And the devil made up his mind. He said, whatever it takes. Well, I'm not going to have this. If I can't have it, nobody can have it. You can tell when people are truly evil because they say in their mind, if I can't be blessed, nobody's going to be blessed. If I can't have the victory, I'm going to make sure nobody can have the victory. If I can't do this, I'm going to make sure nobody can do it. I want to tell you, when God puts his hand on somebody and God begins to exalt somebody, you can sit there and suck your thumb and get a bad attitude and get bitter, but God is going to have people that have divine favor and are walking with God, and God is going to use them. God is determined, I will have a witness. I will have a church. I will have a people clap your hands and give God the praise. And so, Lucifer manifests himself as an angel of light. And in Genesis chapter 3, the plan of God is aborted. Adam loses his dominion. Now under bondage. They lose their promise. They lose their paradise, which is a garden that was voluptuous and overflowing with the blessedness of God's hand upon every fruit, and the world becomes a wilderness. Because of a jockeying for the throne. 
Not only did Lucifer become Satan, but angels became demons. And the devil became what the Bible calls in 2 Corinthians 4 and 4. In whom the God, look at that word God, the G is small. In whom the God of this world. Satan, Satan did get what he wanted when he reduced the human race to living in bondage and took away their privileged position through trickery. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. And he, he is still the God of this world. He became the God of this world, but he had no dominion. He became the God of this world, but he had no authority. He got man to forfeit. He's working overtime on some of us to get us to forfeit what God is trying to give to us. This equation has not changed over millennia. It's still, it's still the original foundation of the operation of principalities and powers. In our world, in our life, spirit, flesh, seen, unseen, this is still what's operating today. So, for thousands of years, there was no throne. God's still on his throne. And Satan lost his throne, whatever it was. It might have been one of the thrones that's like the four and twenty elders of the book of Revelation. I do not know, but he lost whatever he had. And so there is, no, there is no cooperating element that is in alignment, vertical alignment with the throne in the heaven. And so now I want to talk about the second throne, which is the throne of David. There is no other subject that I can think of in the Old Testament that even eclipse, eclipses the Abrahamic covenant like the Davidic covenant. You might remember that the nation of Israel, God, he is using his people. We've, we've been through Abraham, we've been through Isaac, and now through Jacob and one of his sons, Joseph. There is a repositioning in Egypt, and they are under an Egyptian throne. And God told Abraham in Genesis chapter number 15 that in the fourth generation they will come out with great substance. Everything is operating out of prophecy. Everything operating in our world is operating on prophecy. Now, it's not science fiction, okay? Like what's, what starts the, the New Testament? John the Baptist, right? He was prophesied. It was prophesied that there would be one that would make the high places low and bring the low places to make an even pathway for the Son of, Son of God. 
John the Baptist comes by prophecy. Jesus Christ is here by prophecy. The day of Pentecost comes by prophecy. The church of the living God is here by prophecy. Cornerstone is operating on prophecy. And there is no devil. There is no human being. There is no angel. There is no star. There is nobody. So the nation of Israel is in Egyptian bondage under the throne of Pharaoh. And God finally brings them out. And God finally leads them into the promised land. And the book of Judges clearly declares unto us that the nation of Israel is now settling in the promised land. That which was promised way back. Way back to Abraham. In fact, Abraham walked on terra firma that now the nation of Israel is being led to. All God needs at this time to continue to rule and reign through his people is a theocracy. And a theocracy is where God is the sole authority. But God furnished his people two voices that would keep this theocracy on track. The priest would represent the people before God. The prophet would represent God to the people. But in the book of Judges, the moral compass of God's people became cattywampus. That's a real old word from Arkansas that means messed up. Every man did that which was right in his own eye. And if you look in the book of Judges, you will see, yes, they are in the promised land, but all of them are working, they're operating off of a skewed moral compass. Idolatry was rampant through the book of Judges, which is why God had to raise up Gideon, because the Midianites, God was using them to punish his people for being in idolatry, even though they were in the promised land. They couldn't self-govern. They couldn't operate under a theocracy. In fact, it even got worse. They said, we want a king. We want to fit in with other churches. We want to fit in with other people. Honey, we're not supposed to fit in with anybody. We're oper- I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to be ugly. But we need to be plain here today. When you're God's people through the power of the name and the power of the spirit, There ain't nowhere you're going to hear this. There ain't nowhere you're going to experience this. There's only one God, and his name is? His name is? Somebody give him praise. Devils are cast out in the name. Healing is in the name. Deliverance is in the name. You may be seated. Let me get back to the ranch. Saying, Pastor, I didn't come here for this this today. I came for a little sound bite out of the Bible. You know what? You don't need that. In fact, that's gonna hurt you. You need to shake yourself. You need to break yourself of that kind of a diet. You need to wake up and realize I'm not going to be dumbed down by a, by a smartphone. I'm not going to be dumbed down by the Internet. I'm going to get my nose in the Word of God. I'm going to find out what God has for me. I want everything God's got. I'm going to lay my hands on everything. If God said I'm supposed to be up here and not down here, I'm going for it. If God said I'm supposed to be out here and not over here, I'm going for it. Oh, clap your hands and give God the praise. 
Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. It was chaos. Everybody said chaos. I'm glad you said that. Because only God can bring order out of chaos. And that's exactly what Genesis 1 and 1 was. Genesis 1 and 1 was God bringing order out of nothingness. And so the first thing that God did to bring order out of chaos is he didn't create a king. He created a prophet. Because a king has to have a prophet. A king was never designed by God to operate with unlimited powers and authority. That's when things became cattywampus, which is a word from Arkansas that we don't use very much anymore. So God creates out of a barren womb, Samuel. And now Samuel is firmly in place. It's time to judge the corrupt priest by the name of Eli. Get him out of the picture. He's part of the problem. And because now the people are wanting a king, which I don't want, I never, I never want. God, if you look in the book of Exodus, we don't have time to go there. It's in the book of Exodus. It's also in the book of Revelation. God's original plan was that he would have a kingdom of priests, Brother Wokey, and that all of us would be priests, and we would also be prophets. That's all God, had need, God needed for a theocracy. And so God brings a prophet into the picture. And then God gives the people what they want. They give him somebody that's head and shoulders above everybody else. He's got a physique that's big. He's strong. He's like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's a, he's a visible representation of, of God himself. He's big. He's strong. He's mighty. He's going to lead his people valiantly. They're going to go into wars. They're going to go into battles. They're going to expand the kingdom. Problem is Saul was the type of the first Adam. Wouldn't listen to the prophet. Saul was the type of the first Adam. God brought order out of chaos with the prophet. And then the first king ended up being like Adam of the earth earthy. He was rebellious. He was disobedient to the prophet. Had rebellion in his heart. And God said, Saul, you're done. I'm taking my mercy away from you. You are done. He fell on his own sword and committed suicide. What's this got to do with the story? See, I'm, I'm sincerely worried about our world that is so biblically illiterate that you can't even talk about basic elements in the Word of God with people. And if they're not careful, they'll go to a church and they'll expect minimums. When you come to this church, I'm not saying I'm the greatest preacher. I don't believe I'm the greatest preacher. I'm still in training. I'm still digging it out. I'm, I'm still a student theologian. But we are not going to live on the pablum on the ground. We are not going to live on just the fragments. We're not just going to live on a John 3.16 mentality. No, my friend. We're sitting in heavenly places. We're already seated on a throne. We've got to right. Oh, my God, I feel it right now. You've got to understand who you are. Clap your hands and give God the praise and give him the glory. There is a war of thrones, and I've got to make sure I'm on the winning side. Make sure people get this CD. This doesn't come out of the Reformation. 
This didn't come out of John Knox and the Presbyterian movement. This didn't come out of the Wesley Brothers, which is the United Methodist Church. This didn't come from John Smythe, which became the father of the Baptist. This didn't come from same mainline denominationism. This came from the treasure trove of the Word of God that gives us our identity and our direction. And so while Saul is sparing Agag and some of the choice sheep, Against the word of God, against the word of the prophet, against the office of the priest. I want sacrifice. I'll just go do it myself. I don't need no leader. God said, I'm done with Saul. And while he was doing that, there was a little shepherd boy on the backside of nowhere that killed a lion, killed a bear. And protected the sheep. Whose first act of heroism under the lens and auspices of God's people was to slay the giant. Do you know what do you know what Goliath represented? Goliath represented the resistance to grow. He was he represented the southern perimeter of Judah. Judah is praise. There's some people that come to church and they think, God, this is all you're getting today because this is all I feel. Hallelujah. I'm not trying to put people down, okay? But I've been doing this a little while. Hallelujah. Praise God. What you have just done is you have revealed your level of not just faith, but your view of your God. A great God ought to be worthy of great praise. Well, God, I'm hurting. I got a backache. I got a gizzard ache. My head aches. I can't give you any praise. But God, if you'll heal me, I'll shout. If you heal me, I'll run. If you heal me, I'll climb these walls to give you praise. Go ahead. Make a deal with God. God, you heal my bad back, and I'll leap like a heart. You don't believe God will do that. I'm telling you God will do that. He took cigarettes out of your hands so you'd raise them. He took profanity out of your lips so you'd praise him. Yeah. Yeah, you know the story. Yeah. David comes in bringing the ark home. That's part of my story. Just hang on. And his wife. Looking out the window. That's my husband. That's the king. David threw his robe to the side and was worshiping the Lord God. He was targeting. You want to know why I do this? I believe David did this. Or something like that. He didn't care if somebody intelligent was in the audience. He didn't care if there's a professor sitting out there. He didn't care if Bill Gates is in attendance. He didn't care if Obama is in the house. God is in the house. Somebody praise him. All right, all right, all right. I got a lot to preach. And if you're ever going to get to Denny's, you got to leave me alone. Goliath represented saying, 
you can't grow. You're, you've reached your maximum, maximum extent. There ain't going to be any growth. Well, that's what you think. Because here comes a guy from the backside of nowhere that's already had anointing oil spilled on his head and already got a prophecy. I told you everything in the Word of God operates on prophecy. Where's Sister Valicia Whitmire? Just lift your hand. Yeah, go a little higher than that so people can see you. Lift both of them like you're in a police lineup. I'm just having fun. Do you know what your Do you know what your grandmother told me? Your grandmother told me that when we first, when my wife and I and my two children first got to Spokane, she said, "You know what, Brother Mayo? God said in a, in one of our district conference that there was going to be great revival in Spokane. We're here." Everything operates on prophecy. Somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. It's not me that's special. It's the promise of God that's special. You may be seated. One more outburst of that, and I won't be done till four. Because I got more notes to preach than a than a mad scientist professor at a university that's getting paid by the hour. David brought that giant down. We can keep growing. Sometimes the only man that can bring down a regional giant has to operate on prophecy. Because in his natural condition, he would never get out there. You had the king hiding behind a rock. You had all these mighty men of Saul hiding behind rocks, hiding behind stumps, and some old uncircumcised giant with dirty yellow teeth and old nasty breath said, come on, give me somebody. Send me a man, you bunch of weaklings. It's over for you guys. And a little shepherd boy said, who is this that's defying the God of Israel? He wasn't operating from headquarters. He wasn't coming from a Bible college. He came from an anointing from a prophet of God. Somebody clap your hands to give him praise. All right. David brought down a giant. David dodged spears as the king tried to pin him against the wall. Hey, did this guy? I'm just going to play, give praise to God. I'm not doing it to irritate the king. I'm not doing it to irritate anybody. He brought me in here to do this, and he brought me in here to kill me. In fact, David got so close in the cave, he said, I want you to cut off just a little bit. So he cut off a little bit. Said, Saul, look down at your garment. I was this close and could have killed you. But I love God and I love you. Hold on, hold on. David brought down a giant. David was falsely accused by Saul and was tried to, he was killed, tried to be killed by church leadership.
David had mercy on Mephibosheth. David had mercy on Shimei. David had mercy on Joab. David wrote songs. David worshipped God. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. David said, hold it. We've got to bring the ark here. Saul never visited the ark one time. He was more interested in having people's approval than he did having the ark back where it belonged. The ark was God's throne. Anger. Word of God. David did not run Israel from a throne. He ran Israel from the ark. Stick with me. David's finally sitting in his house. He's got peace with everybody. Everything looks great. Problem is, God doesn't have a house. Come on, build God a house. David had a character and a hunger that brought him into alignment. And for the first time in history, God said, I found my throne. Oh, y'all have such high standards around this church. I want to sit in his throne. I'm not, I don't want to run with the footmen anymore. I've already been there and done that. I don't want to just live on the fragments of denominationalism and think that I've got God and think that I have favor. I want to follow the word of God every jot, every tittle and know I've got God and know his voice and know his presence and know his glory. When David said, I'm going to build God a house, the prophet was so blown away. He said, do all that is in thine heart. God is with thee. That night, Nathan went to sleep. God woke him up in the middle of the night. Said, you know what? I never asked David to build me a house. But since that was your desire, I'm going to establish your house forever. And I'm going to establish your throne forever. God didn't get his throne through Adam. God couldn't get his throne through Saul. But God found a man that was so in alignment through his spiritual character and his tenacity for the things of God. God said, there's my throne. Lift your hands. The throne of David is the backbone of Old Testament prophecy from this point forward. The Abrahamic prophecy is second only to the Davidic covenant. He's still the father of the faithful. We still have to be circumcised, not made with hands, but through baptism in Jesus' name, according to Colossians chapter number 2, Galatians chapter 3, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. 
your spiritual character matters. David went in after, listen, don't be so hard on your pastor and your ministry. You know, Nathan said, go and do all that is in thine heart. Man, that's wonderful. That's awesome. God woke him up in the middle of the night and said, you missed it. I don't need David to build my house. I've been just fine in a tent because I'm always on the move. I'm going to let his son build me the house. But you go back and tell David, I'm going to establish his throne forever. And from his loins, now I don't want you to do it right now, but if you were to look in Luke chapter number 3 and Matthew chapter number 1, you would see the only two genealogies in the New Testament. And both of them connect David with Jesus Christ. Oh, they take some twists and turns. Stick with me. I know some of us are ready, are, are used to 20-minute messages, but this is going to be good. I promise you this is good. Look at your neighbor and say, this is going to be good. Look at somebody else and say, you got a free coffee coming. Okay. I don't mean to sound snide, but you know how it is. Okay. That was in 2 Samuel chapter number 7. Somebody said amen. David goes immediately into the temple, and he begins to pray for God. Who am I that you would do this for me? You would establish me and my family forever. My children are going to sit on the throne. Problem is, four chapters later, at the time when kings went forth to battle, David stayed back in Jerusalem, and in the middle of the night, got up and flipped his computer screen on. Nobody was watching didn't have covenant eyes, went and committed adultery, murdered an innocent, pure man. He committed two offenses against the Ten Commandments, both of them. The outcome is death. He hid that secret for a year, playing the hypocrite, trying to be the best leader he could. You want to know why? In the back of his mind, Brother Woke, he's thinking, What's going to happen to the throne? What's going to happen to my promise? I messed up. I didn't mean to do that. It was a moment of weakness. I didn't, it wasn't premeditated. It was a moment of weakness. But it was devastating. It impacted people. It impacted the perception of his throne and his leadership. Played the hypocrite for almost a year until Nathan showed up. And by using a spiritual riddle, flipped on his heels and said, Thou art the man. And David was thinking, Here it comes. He's going to take that promise away from me. He lost four children. With every child that was lost, he kept thinking, I'm done. That promise that will go on parchment as the greatest promise ever given to a mortal is now done because I made a moral mistake. There are some promises that are greater than your failures. Because look at what it says in Isaiah chapter 9. 
For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. I've heard that preach that that's negative about the oppression against Jesus. That's talking about dominion. That's his dominion. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Next verse. And of the increase of his government and peace there be no, no end. Upon the throne of David. There's some promises, Sister O'Glenn, that are greater than our failures. Go ahead and clap your hands and give God the, the devil's been working you over, saying you messed up, you've made mistakes, you're out of the game, the prophecy's over. No, 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 my friend. God said, I know you messed up. But some promises are greater than your mistakes. Somebody clap your hands. Somebody give him praise. Somebody shout. Somebody shout with a voice of triumph. All right, God bless you. You may be seated. Everybody say hello, brother and sister Kaufman. It's good to see you again. Man, you don't ever know what's going to happen in that church. Problem with David is, it went to Solomon, that was the maximum extent of the Davidic covenant, at least this time. Solomon died an idolater, fell into the hands of Rehoboam. And now the kingdom is split. One is defeated by an enemy and the other one goes in to Babylonian captivity. And the throne is momentarily done. It is a very famous theological part of governing the Old Testament, especially when God's people move into the hierarchy of the kings, because you have the pre-exilate, that means pre-exile, then you have the exile, then you have post-exile. When the nation of Israel, the fragments of those people began to return and rebuild the walls under Nehemiah and Zerubbabel. But there is no mention, even after the walls are done, even after a holy temple is constructed under the governance of Zerubbabel, there's no mention of a throne ever finding its place within the grasp of the nation of Israel. And so the throne is lost. The third throne that I want to talk to you about is the throne that's established through the church. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years have passed. And out of nowhere, an angel shows up at the home of a 14-year-old girl. Go to Luke chapter 1, Brother Clark. And an angel begins to talk to a 14, I want to tell you, most 14-year-old girls in America today, can tell you everything about your smartphone. They can tell you how to hide messages from your mom and dad. And all the young people say amen. 
I knew that was going to be kind of rough. A 14-year-old girl that is engaged to be married, an angel shows up and said, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Next verse. He shall be great, and he shall be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne. All these years of silence, God never forgot. Listen. Let me just put it on pause. There are some of you that God gave you promises. He gave you promises your kids were going to be saved. Don't you dare let the devil pry your fingers off of that. Don't you dare let that become distance from your heart. If God said it, God didn't forget. It's hundreds of years. It's hundreds of years. Idolatry has taken place. Bondage has taken place. Babylon has taken place. God never forgot. The Herodians come. The Maccabean revolt has taken place. Antiochus Epiphany has ever has already risen. Who's he? We'll talk about him another time. He's a type of the Antichrist. He's a 430 silent years between Malachi and Matthew. God breaks the silence hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Saying. David was so in alignment that I said, I'm going to do this, and I'm not taking it back, even if you mess up, even if you blow it. That's hard for us to think sometimes, Brother Robert. Nice to see you. That's hard for us to grasp that God could be that, that glorious and that wonderful and that gracious. But see, God's not a man that he should lie. He has a throne in another world. And so Mary has this baby. You know the story. Jesus is crucified, rose from the dead. And then on the day Way before he ever gets to the cross. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. The very first test of Jesus is in Matthew chapter number 4. Brother Clark, help me out. The devil takes Jesus into an exceeding high mountain. And again, the devil taketh him into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him the kingdoms of the world. All the ball games. All the nightclubs. All the casinos. The stadiums full of people that are worshiping athletics. All the kingdoms of the world. Because you see, this was Satan's kingdom. He's the God of this world. Only he could relinquish the rights. And he said, Jesus, if you will fall down and worship me. Go to the next verse, please. Verse 9. And Satan said to Jesus, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Go to the next verse, please. And Jesus came and spake unto them. No, I mean verse 10 of Matthew chapter number 4. Then Jesus said unto the devil, get thee hence, Satan. This was Lucifer. He used to have a throne. 
He used to have a very preeminent place as the son of the morning under the throne of God in eternity. But now he's the God of this world. And Jesus says, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thy serve. Let's lift our hands and do a little bit of that right now. Let's worship God. Let's give God all the praise. You have to understand, this is all about a throne. This isn't about our day-to-day existence. This isn't about this. This is all about a throne. This is what pre-existed humanity. It pre-existed the angels. It pre-existed time. It pre-existed everything. There is a war of thrones that is even here in the 21st century. But here in Liberty Lake, there is a church that has the authority of God and the name of Jesus Christ that will not bend. They will not bow. They will not back up. That they will manifest the dominion of God. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of churches today that are thinking that Jesus has delayed his coming. And they're thinking, well, a little bit of TV is okay. And a little bit of movies is okay. And a little bit of uh, pornography is okay. And a little bit of this is okay. And a little bit of professional sports is okay. And what's happening is happening in a degree. Slowly but surely, the devil is trying to eclipse people staying in that vein of recognizing this is not about this present world. There is an invisible world. And there is a throne in that world. I don't care if it takes me another hundred years. I'll not backslide. I'll not give up. I'll not throw in the towel. There is a God on a throne. You may be seated. I'm almost done, I promise. I'm almost done, I promise. When a church, when two people go to a city and start a church, they are worshiping a God that's on a throne. That never leaves. That's constantly in the back of my spiritual mind. That throne goes with me wherever it is. In the Old Testament, the mercy seat, the another translation for that word seat, as we're going to see here in a minute, it's throne. The mercy seat was localized. It was always where the tabernacle is. But in the book of Hebrews, we should come boldly to the throne of grace. That's when God kicked down. He tore the veil and he rent it in twain. And he said, now it's in the spirit. Whether you're in Antarctica, whether you're on the North Pole, whether you're in Spokane, Washington, whether you're in Argentina, whether you're in Europe, there is a throne of grace. The throne is in the spirit. Go to Acts chapter number 2. The Holy Ghost is poured out on the day of Pentecost. Peter's preaching. And in Acts chapter 2, verse number 35, 33, no, verse 33. He said, therefore, being by the right hand of God, he preached about David's throne. It was the nucleus of his message on the day of Pentecost. It wasn't just Acts 2.38. He was leading people to an understanding of who Jesus Christ was. He said, therefore, being by the right hand of God, exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which you now see and hear. Next verse. Until I make thy foes thy footstool. Every throne has a footstool. But the footstool is for your feet. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, Jesus said, I will not get into the throne with my Father until all things are under my feet. God is using the church. 
to bring this present world and every lying devil under the feet. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus that the God of peace may bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Next verse, Brother Clark. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that this Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord, Jehovah, and Messiah. Go to the next verse. Oh, never mind. I'm sorry. It's not on the list I gave you. Go to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. I promise I'm almost done, but I got to get there. And Jesus came and spake unto them, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. That word power there is called exousia, and it's power to rule, power to govern. This is why denominational Trinitarian Pentecostals do not have the same power level of oneness people. Now, I'll tell you what's happened in this hour. You have a lot of smart people. They're all on YouTube. They're all over the place. They have more degrees than a thermometer. Trying to say, well, these are the oneness people that were the phonies that, you know, they denied the Trinity in the beginning. Yeah, we deny the Trinity because the Trinity is not in the Bible. The Bible said in the name of the Father. Jesus said in John 5, 43, I'm coming in my Father's name, and you receive me not. He said in John 14, 26, Holy Ghost would be sent in my name. Acts chapter 4, verse number 12. Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. Luke chapter number 1, verse number 30 says, Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Colossians 3, 17, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Clap your hands and give him praise. You do not establish the throne as a Trinitarian. I'm not trying to be ugly, but we're at the end of time. I don't have time for a class. I don't have time together. I'm telling you, there's only one God. He sits on a throne. There are not three thrones. There's only one throne. Clap your hands and give God the praise. It is the war of thrones. Okay, God bless you. You may, you may be seated. I'm almost done. Man, it's not even 1 o'clock. Some of you are already thinking, man, I haven't even, even got my donut and Starbucks yet. You do not establish a throne through Trinitarianism. And I don't need to read a book and see Jesus through Trinitarian eyes. Give me the word of God. Give me Daniel. Give me Paul. Give me John the Revelator. Give me the Apostle Peter. When a church becomes established, they now create an environment. Stand up for a minute. This fine specimen of masculinity right here. No, don't laugh. He is. Come on. Face the audience. Okay? You only see one part of this guy. Okay? You're only seeing the physique. That's the outer court. You may be seated. There's two more areas. The outer court is physical. They don't put that throne in the outer court. 
Then you have a holy place. That's right inside the flap with the candlesticks, the table of shewbread, altar of incense. But beyond the next veil is the holy of holies where the ark, the throne of God in the earth, that ark was a throne that had angels, and on the inside of that, it had tablets of stone. But Brother Seymour, once you're baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, he said, I'm not writing this on stones anymore. I'm writing this on the tables of your heart because you have now become the temple. You are now the temple of the Almighty God. You are now the facilitator of the holiest of all. You are now the facilitator of a throne. You are now the facilitator of an Almighty God. You are. You, clap your hands and give God the praise. I'm closing. I just had to come here today and let the spirit world know that in 2020, it's all about a war of thrones. And it's always been that. It's not a denominational war. It's not a war Democrat versus Republican, left versus right. That's a trick of the devil to get you sidetracked. It's the war of a throne. In 1878, there was a German engineer that while sightseeing in Turkey came to an ancient city that lied in total ruin. In fact, it not only was laying in ruin, but it was totally unappreciated by both the locals and the country. He went to the government at that time and obtained proper documentation to be able to excavate certain remains at the city. He and a team began their excavation. They finished right before 1900. And they brought their finding, findings from this little, what used to be a city in Turkey, and they brought it back to Berlin. They began to assemble this, and it depicted some of the incredible, incredible graphic mosaics and chiseled out. Architecture showed that the gods, the mythological gods in conflict and in war. And they set this up in Berlin. It was there for many, many years. The most famous architect of the 20th century was not Frank Lloyd Wright. It was a German by the name of Albert Speer became the architect for Adolf Hitler because the Nazis relied upon oracles of darkness and black magic and even demonism to help them in their war against God's people. They heard about this incredible uh, architectural exhibit that was in Berlin 
And Adolf Hitler told Albert Speer, you go and you get the plans of that. And I want you to build, I want you to build a massive replica of that. And I want you to build it in Nuremberg. Nuremberg is a, turn, is a town in southern Bayern in, in, in Germany. But the reason why Nuremberg is so famous is because there was a place for a landing strip for Zeppelins. It was the Germans that were trying to exploit the use of Zeppelins in World War II. But they had to have a massive airfield called the Zeppelin Airfield. But Adolf Hitler transformed the Zeppelin Airfield into one of the most massive places, outdoor arenas in the history of the world. At one point, he had 800,000 Nazi soldiers that he would periodically give his famous speeches where under a demonic anointing, he would, he would impregnate both his SS and, and, and the hearts of an entire nation trying to captivate the world. That, that portico, that porch that he brought back was from Pergamos in Revelation chapter number 2. And in Revelation chapter number 2, help me out, Brother Clark, it said, and to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, these things saith he, which has the sharp sword with two edges. Read on. I know thy works and where thou dwellest even where Satan's seat is. That is one of the only places where biblical translators took the Greek word thronos and translated it seat. Every other place where that is used, it means a throne. But I believe the Trinitarian translators, not wanting to give Satan any power, used the word seat instead of throne. What Adolf Hitler did is he took the throne of Satan and had it built in Nuremberg where he would give his speeches and impregnate his demonic influence in an entire nation. But the nation that brought him down was a nation that knew that there's only but one God. Let's lift our hands and give God the praise. You're saying, I can't live for God? You need to let Jesus climb into the throne of your heart. You need to let Jesus on the throne here today. I just can't be faithful. I just can't follow the Bible. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's me. I don't know what it is. I'm telling you what it is. got to have a revelation that you are a part of a kingdom that is from another world. It's from the foundations of the earth. It's from the invisible. It's in the supernatural. God didn't call us to just be part of the God brought us here to do this in one of the most liberal states in the United States and take the throne of Satan and put it under our feet. I'm not bound to the God of this world. I'm not bound to dope. I'm not bound to alcohol. I'm not bound to sexual addiction. I'm not bound to immorality. I'm not going to bow to athletics. I'm not going to bow to Hollywood. I'm not going to bow to politics. There's only one God on the throne. And he meets with us every single week. Just remain standing if you want to. I'm almost done, I promise. I'm 
operating on fumes at this point. A week from tomorrow, we sign official documentation that we are buying, buying the building across the street. No, you got to understand, Goliath has already expired. Goliath is already down. Goliath is already gasping for breath. It's time to take his head off. It's time to cast down the seed of Satan. It's time to cast down. It's time to get so focused on what God is doing in this hour that we only answer to one throne. I didn't even, I didn't even, I didn't even get to preach all my message today. I have heard from so many people, it's hard to do this. It's only hard to do it if you're not praying. You and the throne of grace together, when they put that, listen, no, no. When they put the ark in the temple of Dagon, the fish god, the god of the Philistines, they came in the next morning and saw their gods on their faces making obeisance to the ark. Why? Because the ark was a throne. They came in the very next day. They set the figurines up and said, who did this? Desecrating our temple. Who is this? They went in the very next day. They went in. The heads were cut off of Dagon, and his hands were cut off. If you'll fall down and worship God and keep God in position, it'll cut the head of the devil off, and it'll cut off his ability to manipulate you. If you'll stay before the throne, all other things must fall. I have no more breath. I have no more strength. I've delivered to the spirit world exactly what I needed to deliver today. We're not going to back up. We're here to gain crown. We're here to get everybody. We're here to get everybody we can. Clap your hands and lift your hands and give God the praise. The throne of the Almighty God is in this house. Let's lift our hands. Let's worship a little longer. A great God is worthy of great praise. You're not worshiping a man. You're not worshiping a denomination. You're not worshiping a religion. You're not worshiping a passage of scripture. You're worshiping the almighty God that has been in that throne before time began. If you need salvation, God is here. If you need deliverance, God is here. Don't bring, don't bring your fragmented belief system. When you come to this, you have to come into this saying, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Whatever you need, this altar's open. Come. Bring somebody by the hand. I keep preaching, but I'm out of breath.
not going to bow. I'm not going to be a lover of pleasure more than a lover of God. I'm not going to be a lover of the God of this world. I'm not going to be a lover of ease. I'm not going to be a lover. I'm not looking for a simpler, shorter way. I, I want the God of the Bible. I want the God of eternity. I want the ancient of days. Let's lift our hands and give God the praise and the glory. Everything that's trying to influence your mind, everything that's keeping you from not worshiping God, you have to understand. Somebody praise Him. Your name is a victory. You find.